Welcome to the podcast by Pleasant Valley, where we talk about biblical truth, address your questions, and seek to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PV Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Eisler, and I'm joined today by Barb Condra, who's a leader here at PV, but also in the community, and one of the wisest people I know. And uh, she's chuckling now, but it is so true. And she she just wrote a book called Taking Civility Out of the Box, The Insanity of Incivility and What Can Be Done About It. And so we thought it'd be helpful just to spend time today talking through the topic of civility and how that relates to our faith and just a really tense moment for us in our country. We're recording this just short after the, the first presidential debate. And uh, I think we could all agree that we wish all parties involved would have read Barb's book. Her book is phenomenal. <laughs> and so just want to unpack that together today and see how that can apply to our current moment. So, Barb, in your introduction, you talk about listening to Pastor John Newsom's sermon from Memorial Day a few years back. And in that message, you talk about how he used a box as an illustration mm-hmm. and how that stuck out to you and then helped fuel some thoughts about even the title of the book and the theme of the book. So would you talk about that? Why is civility so important to you? And what about that illustration stuck out to you? I'll be glad to do both those things. Um, I had been looking for a title for the book that I was just about to finish, and I couldn't come up with something because, you know, the word civility doesn't just make people jump up and think, gosh, I've got to go read that. It's not exactly as with, I think, the younger population would say, it's not exactly a sexy topic. One, it's not one that draws people attention, but I think it's an extremely important topic. So I was looking for something that would help me get a title that might make some sense and that was meaningful. In John's illustration, it had to do with Memorial Day. And he was saying, you think you know what that's about, but do you really? I mean, we just say that. And he had several good, ex- wonderful examples, actually. And I sat there and I thought, that's just what civility is. People think they know what it is, but they don't, because what they know, if they think about it, is just the definition that they had when they took a class on civics in high school or perhaps college, and that's fine, okay, now I can check off the right definition, and then you kind of put it away and never think about it again. So I thought, why can't civility be taken out of that box? Because it's in there someplace in our minds, and let's take a look at it. So that's that's how I decided to approach the title and to approach the topic of civility. Um, you asked me why this is important to me, and it's you know it's important at a variety of levels. Um, when you deal with people, and I was an elementary principal, and then I was an assistant superintendent in the school system, it's important how you treat people. Um, If you want them to work with you, uh, then they need to see you as somebody they trust and somebody that they want to work with. And I hadn't really thought about that as being civil, but that's really what it is. Because I actually, you know, civility is really being kind and gracious. That's really not an exciting topic too. It sounds, you know, maybe kind of wimpy. It's not really very strong. Although it takes a great deal of courage sometimes to be civil in a situation that is triggering a whole lot of emotions for you. But when you really think of civility, it is about an encounter with another person or perhaps a group. And when you walk away from that encounter, if you've been 
if civility has been at the root of that or the base of that, then that person should feel valued. That person should feel respected, regardless of whether you've agreed on anything. They should. So in, civility is an encounter to make somebody feel respected and honored. And it, that goes back for me a very long time. Because when I was in high school, there weren't quick trips and fast food places to get a, a part-time job. So I signed up for a youth employment service and I went to people's houses and cleaned houses and did ironing for them. And I went one Saturday morning to this house and I didn't recognize the house, but when I got inside, the mom took me upstairs and wanted me to clean the baseboards and clean the bathroom in this room. And there, lying on the bed, reading a book, was a girl I knew from school and had classes with. We weren't close friends, but I knew her. So when I walked in, she looked up and she said, hi. And then she looked back down to her book and she never said another word to me in the entire, I suppose I was in there for two hours or so. So I'm down on my hands and knees in her bedroom while she is reading her book and I was humiliated because I thought, oh, this is going to be all over school. You know, well, guess who came to my house? And, oh, my word, I could not get out of there fast enough. And I don't think anything really happened as a result of it. I don't recall any bad things happening except it stuck with me. And I thought, you know what? I will never do that to another person. All she had to do was carry on a brief conversation she could have said, hey, I'm reading such and such a book, and have you read it? Or, you know, any nondescript thing that would have said, you're a valuable person. And so that really stuck with me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, as you think through even the topic of civility, and as you've worked through within the book, uh, I think it'd be helpful just to outline kind of your basic argument. So what, what is a way we can think about civility? What does it mean to take it outside of the box? You've talked a little bit about that, but walk us through some of what you argue in the book. Yes. Um, well, I think I, I tried to put together the book as a, let's lay out a case as to, first of all, you have to know what it is and what it isn't, and then you have to know why it's a problem and what it's going to do, what's the impact going to be, and can we do anything about it? And if so, what can we do? So I tried to make it something that would remind you of what, why the, it's important, and but give you hope. Because if I just did an explanation of why this needs to be and it's not happening and things are terrible, nobody wants to read that and I don't want to write it. But I wanted to build a case for, but you can do something about it. And so that's how I set it up. So I start off with um, what it is and why that's important. And then I ask, I give people at the, at the end of every chapter, uh, there's half dozen or so uh, action steps you might take. I guess you could call them action steps of, like for the first one when it's talking about what civility is, it's like, well, take a look around you. Who do you see that is always civil, no matter what's said to them or the situation they're in? Who is that? And do you know how they're able to do that? Have you commented to them? Have you complimented them? If not, you know, call them, send them a note. You know, send an email, do something to let them know that you noticed what they're doing. Because they're out there really kind of 
on an island by themselves because so many people are not civil. And so make a comment. And if you know them or if you feel confident enough, ask them, how do you do that? How do you stay civil in the midst of all of that? So that, that's how I approach each tap, chapter with some suggestions of things you actually could do. So in chapter two, which is titled, What is Incivility Doing in the Box? You kind of break down definitions of civil discourse and just what does it mean to, to speak in a civil manner? And part of what you add to that definition is you say civil discourse is civility in action. Civil discourse engages people in discussions that enhance understanding. And civil discourse implies objectivity and requires respect of and for all participants. Would you break that down for a little bit and explain why that's so important to civility in general? Well... I, it's actually the key. Those three things are the key to civility because I think what people have come, how people have come to view this is that if I know I'm right about something, um, then I don't have to be civil. I can say anything I want to because I'm right. And I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to talk to you. I just am going to stand here and wait until you see the light and do it my way. Now, that may be slightly exaggerated, although in certain circumstances, it's not. <laughs> but civil discourse is the ability to speak in a way that remains civil, even when you have strong beliefs about something. And it, you could, it's okay for your voice to get a little louder. I mean, when I start talking about this, my voice will have more energy in it because I'm talking about something I feel passionate about. And that's okay. But it shouldn't become a just an argument and a diatribe of words that are intended to let you know how dumb your opinion is. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's what we do. So, it, But that doesn't accomplish anything. And what we really want to do is get a discussion going. Because if I hear what you have to say and I listen to why you believe that way or what it is you're pointing to as your reason for that. If I'm really trying to get you to see it my way, then I have to truly first understand why you see it the way you do. And I have to explain why I see it the way I do. And that opens the door because as long as both of you are standing there with your arms crossed and you're looking at each other like, you know, you're the most evil thing I've ever seen because you can't understand why I'm, you don't see why I'm right. Um, it doesn't get you anywhere. And the, you can't solve a problem when you can't understand the other person's point of view. So, um, and then what was the last one said that civil discourse implies objectivity and requires respect of and for all participants. And I think we have shifted how we look at that. We tend to believe that if I ask you your position on something and it's absolutely the total opposite of mine, that if I ask you any questions about it or if I try to understand why you think that way, in some way I'm being disloyal to the opinion or beliefs that I have, and you're not in any way. Um, and, you know, if you go back to, obviously, we're both Christians here, and we go to the Bible as a source, that's not how Jesus talked with people. Now, yes, he turned the tables over in the temple, and he was angry about that. 
But that was an action that people were doing that, in a sense, that was completely wrong. If he listened to people when they were struggling, he asked them their opinions. He asked them, why do you think that? Because he allowed them to be a person and he respected them and they knew that. I think one thing you're saying is really just to live out the command to love your neighbor. Absolutely. And, um, I think one of the significant things, even just related to this discussion, I've often heard it talked about the difference between straw manning someone and steel manning someone. So a straw man would be where you build up a case that kind of has the facade of being what someone that disagrees with you would say, but in reality, they wouldn't actually recognize that case if it was laid out on paper. Mm -hmm. And a steel man would be to say, I want to state someone's case so well that they themselves could agree off on what I've said. Yes. Because at the end of the day, as we want to convince someone, um, we're really not loving our neighbor by strawmanning them, and we're really, we're really not winning a discussion or convincing mm -hmm. someone. We're just repelling them. Yes. And uh, I, I think that's exactly right as you're speaking of that. And you think of how many times does Jesus try to engage with people mm -hmm. like the Pharisees on their own terms? And he's not trying to straw man them, but he's trying to actually push forward the argument in ways that cause them to think. Mm -hmm. um, a few years back, like maybe five or six years ago, I went on a mission trip to New York, and um, we witnessed two Muslims. Okay, I'm female, and I'm witnessing to Muslims. Well, a Muslim man is not going to talk to me, or he shouldn't. Um, so how am I going to do that? And the women are not necessarily out where they can have those kinds of conversations. But what we did was we went into like one of the parks in an area where, because there's a lot of... Uh, ethnic-specific uh, groupings in that area. And we went into the parks where the women would take their kids for a walk. And if we struck up a conversation, we struck up those that conversation by saying, hi, isn't that a lovely baby you have? And they would ask, and why, why are you here? Well, I, we are here visiting New York, and I see that you are Muslim, or I see that you are Pakistani, whatever. Can you tell me, I'm interested in your religion. Can you tell me more about it? And they will. Yeah. Now, there's nothing confrontational about that. My, I'm not announcing that I'm a Christian and I'm here to change their life. I'm listening to them. I want to know about them. Well, the same, same thing applies. When you are listening to somebody or wanting to listen to some, well, wanting to change someone's opinion about something, you don't start by saying, I understand that you and I don't have the same opinion. You start by saying, I'd like to hear your side of the story. I'd like to hear why you have that. That's not denying your faith. That's not denying your own opinion. Tim Keller will talk about, I think it's in his book, Center Church, about how one of our goals as we speak to other people, especially it could be about the faith, but it could be other issues, is trying to figure out where do we have similar beliefs or where, where there's some areas where yes. we can agree, even if it's just at a surface level, and to be able to try to take those as similarities rather than just starting with the differences, like you said, and um, turning that in a way to say, okay, you believe this and I believe this too. Let me show you why I think this could be a better way yes. and why it makes more sense under the framework I'm trying to argue. Yeah. And uh, I think that's yeah, exactly what you're saying. Well, and if you talk to a Muslim, they also believe in one God. So you do too. So you can say, we do too. I mean, you find ways to agree with people because 
You really can. There, there are going to be places that you agree, and that's where you begin to have your conversations. You mentioned um, love and that the Bible really is about love, and that's really what it is about. And we've, I think as Christians, we may have forgotten that or at least aren't paying enough attention to that. A few years ago, I took a course on um, the Old Testament history, and I taught that course the entire Old Testament with another person here that <laughs> tried teaching that in four weeks. But, yes, talk, talk fast. But in there, it talked about why the early church was so attractive to people, and it was attractive to people because they saw people living differently. They saw them caring for people and being loving, and that was not the environment of the Roman Empire that they were living in at that time. So we need to be attractive to people, meaning, yeah, you, you are different than me. You have different opinions than I do, but I respect you. I respect you for that. We can talk about that. That's helpful. What are, what are some practical examples you can think of um, even in just everyday situations or conversations where um, you think maybe we struggle with civility and uh, it would be helpful just to take a moment and pause to say, okay, well, where do I need to have my guard up when I, when I want to live in a civil way and speak in a civil way to folks? What are some practical examples of that? Well, some of the practical examples are, I can't find the one page I want to see, but I'll, I'm sure I remember some of them. It's recognizing what your triggers are because we all have them that we all have a trigger but you need to know what your triggers are because maybe there it's about a, a belief that you have a very strong opinion about and you feel like somebody's attacking you so you have to recognize that or maybe you feel like someone is ignoring you that they're disrespecting you which you can do by just never calling on somebody or never reporting, never uh, responding to things that they say or putting them down if you're in a leadership role. Well, you are. Uh, so you have, you, have, you have to recognize that's a trigger for me. So, um, so doing things like that, asking yourself, what are my triggers? And that's not really a comfortable thing to do uh, because we all have them. And it's the trigger for someone who really wants to be civil it's the trigger that you have to watch out for. And you can do it, but you need to be aware of it. Um, I'll give you an example of something just recently. I made a post on Facebook, which I don't do very often because, you, ju you know, you're just going <laughs> to Facebook get, isn't really full of civility. Really, yeah, no, it is not. But it was a very well-written um, piece by someone about a position and that a Christian could take that wasn't necessarily in line with a lot of Christian thinking. It was well written and I agreed with what the person was saying and I thought, well, I'm just gonna post that. Didn't get a lot of, you know, maybe a dozen or so responses to it and it was evenly split. Some agreed, some did not. And the ones, and both sides were passionate. But what I realized, and I didn't respond to any of them until after a few days, and I thought, okay, not one of them on either side got vicious, said anything that was nasty, didn't accuse me of, you know, betraying my faith, didn't accuse me of anything. They simply said, I just don't agree with this. Mm -hmm. 
So I thought, all right, I'm going to make a post. And I tagged each one of them and said, I want to thank you because what you just did was demonstrate how you can be civil and have differences of opinion. We created a conversation, and that's all I wanted to do. But my first thought on a couple of them was, now, wait a minute. <laughs> so, but, you know, if, if you have this, I'm going to stand up and defend this idea inside of you, you that's probably not the time to say anything. Yeah. You may want to step back and give that a little more thought. I think even part of civility that we run into with social media versus actually seeing someone in person is in person we can actually you know see see the you know their face and their facial expressions and their emotions and even social media is just not super conducive for really civil conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be some advice you would have uh, for us, even specifically with social media, because many of us. Uh, listening to this podcast can think through probably soon after uh, we finish lif- listening. We'll, we'll scroll through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or something like that and see plenty of things that are really not civil. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for us, especially as Christians, to honor our neighbor as we're on social media? Well, I think people tend to think that there's there's kind of an anonymity that goes with posting something. So I said something that I know is going to make you angry, but it's really not a big deal because, you know, I don't I don't have to see you being angry, and I don't have to, you know, really uh, deal with any fallout. But that's really not true. You do. Um, somebody's feelings may be hurt. A friendship can just be uh, eliminated uh, or at least damaged beyond control. And what? ask yourself, what is really the point of what it is you're about to post? Is there a point other than you just felt like slapping somebody, so you did it with a post? Um, when I posted what I just described, I debated. I had it for like two or three days before I finally posted it. I thought, no, this is a description of why some Christians take this opinion, take this position, and I think it's worth putting out there. So, you know, waiting for... Uh, some waiting to do something sometimes is the best action because then you have time to think about it, decide. And if you've got a really good reason because you're really looking for a conversation, then you want to go ahead and post it. But if it's just a target, if it's just a all of a sudden you're just mad about this and you post it, don't do it on anything, whether it's Instagram or um, Facebook or whatever other things are out there, just don't do it. Um, in the long run, you'll feel better. <laughs> and I, I think there's even something significant to saying that if someone will be able to look through the whole of our feed or our timeline, that um, would someone that disagreed with us feel honored in some way, even if they disagreed with what we're posting? And so I know I've had times even personally where, um, similar to you, that there was a view I felt like that was important to discuss, but I wanted to do it respectfully. And having people that I knew disagreed with me on that, that particular issue actually just read through what I was going to post. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the feedback was really helpful. And there have been times where after they read through it, um, they, I just realized, okay, this isn't going to be helpful. You know, I'm, I'm not honoring them by, by saying this. And uh, I think sometimes we can get this mentality of I just want to please my tribe. Mm-hmm. But we also have to remember as Christians that our job isn't just to, to hang out in a holy huddle, but it is to represent Jesus right. for the world. And yes. part of that is civility. Even how would a non-Christian receive my mm-hmm. words? Yeah. Because you want them to be able to, you want to be able to have a conversation. I mean, really, you do, or you can't, you will never really have an impact on them. One of the things when I wrote the book that I really wanted it to do 
was to help people understand that they actually could make a difference. They, and that's really what I want them to see. You know, we talk about the power of one, and it's kind of an overused slogan anymore. But the truth is, it is powerful. You as an individual can make a difference. And um, I, I have a call to action in the book because I want you to make a difference. I would love to have people send me an email and say, hey, I would love to make a difference and be civil. How can I do it and where do I get support for it? And I have some ideas and I'd get back to them. But one of the things I did in the, the last chapter, which is called Adding Tools to Your Box, so what, what are some things that can help you with this? Um, I, and I'm talking about this, the power of one to make a difference. And the first thing I said was by start by accepting that there is a great potential for change when one person decides to make a difference. Make a decision. I'm going to make a difference in my actions, in my words, in my not just taking for granted that that person knows I have a lot of respect for them because they are always civil in their actions. Do something, say something, stand up for it. Or the flip of that is don't just let somebody talk to you in a way that is disrespectful. Ask them to, you know, stop. Make a difference. So that's where you start. And then next, make a commitment to become or continue to be a person who acts with civility no matter what the circumstances are or who it is you might be dealing with. And that is a commitment. And then you have to kind of supervise yourself. And if you don't do it, if you blow it, talk to them and tell them, you know what, that really tripped my trigger and I didn't mean to do that. I was not being civil with you in any way. You have a right, whatever the words are that you need to do, but do it, probably on the phone or in person or with a note, depends on when you see them again. And then the third thing is know your triggers. <laughs> Be prepared. If you know that whenever you're with this certain person and they say something that's a trigger and you're going to blow it, you know, limit your time with them or decide ahead of time, this is my response, have a response prepared so that you don't blow it. That's helpful. So one of the questions I think that comes up as you talk about um, even identifying your triggers, which I think is so wise, is how does that relate to situations where we're around folks that we do disagree with? Because in one sense, someone could probably mishear you, which I know this is not what you mean. Mm -hmm. They could mishear you saying, then we probably shouldn't be around those we disagree with because then we won't be triggered. Oh, sure. And uh, sometimes I can see the tendency to, on, let's say, social media, mm -hmm. um, people can have really these ideological bubbles, and there will be posts saying things like, if you believe X, Y, Z, you can unfriend me or unfollow me. Mm -hmm. And in a way where we can get so stuck in a, a bubble that it may not, nothing may trip our trigger, or actually I might argue in the opposite, uh, because we're so isolated in that, mm -hmm. the smallest things would become our triggers. But what would you say to that? Well, it's not about just not ever connecting with people who have yeah. difference of opinion than you do. That would be, like you said, that's just not anything that's going to be healthy. But if there is an individual who always gets into a particular topic, then have a plan as to how you're going to respond to that. And it could be as simple as saying, you know, let's not talk about that. We already know you and I disagree, and it just causes us a problem. I enjoy you as a friend, so let's do this instead. That's very respectful, and it honors them, and it doesn't 
keep them from having a conversation. Um, I have a friend that about a year ago, she made a comment. Somebody was talking about what church. We were with a bunch of people, and somebody said, I go to this church, I go to this church, and somebody turned to her and asked her what church she went to. And she said, I don't. I'm an atheist. I did not know that about her. I knew she didn't go to church, but I didn't know she considered herself an atheist. I thought, okay. So, and I was going to go to lunch with her, but that was in the early, in about the middle of February, so we haven't been to lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thanks, but, COVID. <laughs> yeah, but in December, shortly after that, I learned that her sister had passed away, and she had gone back to Iowa for um, the services for her sister. So I called her, and I said, I am so sorry to hear about your sister, and I would like to pray for you and your family, but I know you have told me that you were an atheist, so do I have your permission? Is it okay with you if I pray for you? And her response was, of course you can. I would appreciate it. Thank you. So you acknowledge that there's this big difference there. She knows I'm not an atheist, and she knows she is. But it's okay if I express my care in the way in which, as a Christian, I would express my care. So if we ever get to go to lunch, I think the door is a little bit open to talking about why she's an atheist, because I really don't know. I don't know if she's always been an atheist, if something happened at some point along the way in her life. But you, you, have, to be, you have to be a little bit brave and just not worry about, uh, worry about how you're going to make the other person feel, but don't worry about the other person disagreeing with you. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I, I think even, even just the wisdom of saying that we, we are not responsible for someone's response, but we are responsible for conveying information in a way that um, we've done all that we could possibly do, not, not to offend unnecessarily mm-hmm. um, or to trigger or things like that, but to be as respectful as possible. Yeah. So if we were going to begin to um, bring this conversation, kind of t- tie up the bow on the conversation to think through, we've talked a lot about civility. You, you've mentioned elements of, of your Christian faith and, and what this means, but how does this specifically re- relate to us as Christians, and how can our Christian witness be connected with civility? Well, I think they're directly, I think they're so intertwined, we don't even realize it, because um, we are supposed to be taking a message of love and um acceptance out to people. You have as much right to be your independent person as I do and to have your opinions as I do. We were given that. Uh, I, I'm not your judge. I don't get to judge if your beliefs are wrong. I don't get to judge the outcome of your behaviors. Uh, and I don't get to decide what you should do or not do. That's not up to me. So my job is to reflect who Jesus was, who God is, a strong God that loves us, and Jesus who loved us and helps us through things. He's there. He is a loving God. And that, you know, that comes out in the Old Testament. It comes out in the New Testament. Romans is all about that, but so is the um, different places in Deuteronomy and Leviticus talk about that. So it's a solid thing. But my job isn't then to constantly quote scripture for you if you're not a Christian or your opinions are different than mine. We have to 
realize that we are to make being a Christian an attractive uh, part of who we are by meaning that it's okay for you to come and talk to me. It's okay for you to have a very strong difference of opinion and we can spend time together and you can trust that I will listen to what you're saying and I will not judge you. You know, we can take opposite positions on very, we don't have to talk about this, but let's say abortion because that is such a huge dividing line. But I, we don't have to have the same position. We have to have the same disposition about listening and letting the other person, the other person makes a choice that we believe is lacking in faith, then pray for them. But don't be their judge. Yeah, yeah that's super helpful. Um, I, I think even even just the idea of uh, friendships in general, so you, you, you mentioned even just hard political issues and having friends that are on different sides of the faith spectrum and the political spectrum for myself. And there's something about a friendship that uh, it immediately means that you can go far deeper into those conversations, but you know there's this mutual love and affection. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hard parts, even with social media and shallow relationships is that there isn't that built-in trust to say, okay, I know that we disagree here, but I know this person loves me, and that changes the whole tone and tenor of the conversation. And there, I, have, I have a quote at the beginning of each chapter, because I'm one of those people that just loves quotes. <laughs> me too. So the one that I'm going to read, that I think it's the beginning of chapter four, uh, and it says, you can disagree without being disagreeable, and that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Mm. Man, that's that's a, that's a perfect way to close. Um, thank you so much, Barb, for your wisdom, for um, just the way you model civility for so many of us and the way that's connected with your Christian faith. And I appreciate your work in this book. And um, seriously, for those listening in, uh, Barb's book is Taking Civility Out of the Box, The Insanity of Incivility and What Can Be Done About It. And it is well worth your time. It is not a super long book. It's one you could read in a short amount of time, but you will get a great deal of benefit from it. You can find it on Amazon and many other places. And we've even got copies here in the Pleasant Valley Library. So thank you so much, Barb, for joining us. Thank you you so much, guys, for listening in. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the podcast by Pleasant Valley. If you want to hear more from us, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, pleasantvalley.org. God bless.